0: The past few months, events have seemed to be happening faster than I could process them. Deaths in the United States have just crossed Every day brings something new. police officer was charged with murder and manslaughter in the death of George Floyd. And yet, I felt the need to find some way to slow down and reflect on what was happening in my country, in my world, and even the in my soul, and how to make sense of it all in light of my own faith in the, Jesus. Hope is faith about the I reached out to my friend and teacher, Greg Garner. It was from our conversation that thoughts, theological considerations during COVID, was conceived. We decided that the kind of out loud processing of events that we were doing might be helpful to others who are also trying to understand their world and their faith.
1: light image-bearing, hopeful people.
0: Hello everyone, I'm Benjamin Reese, your host. Welcome to this episode. With all this talk about aloneness, I wanted to ask Greg more about how to approach silence, prayer, and meditation. I wanted to know how these practices could be a countermeasure to the increased mental strain that COVID had put people under. In responding to my question, Greg relied, among many other passages, on Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think it would serve the listener well to pay attention to how Greg explains the meaning of guard your heart and mind. I know I hadn't given it much thought beyond acknowledging that it's a nice sentiment, but in our discussion, I discovered it was much more than that. Hey, Greg, good to see you again. Good to see you, again. Continuing on in our discussion about dealing with the current historical circumstances in a way that remains faithful to the witness of Scripture and puts us in a place where we continue to be faithful to God, I was just have been sort of contemplating the practical aspect of facing up to how God wants to change us in our times of prayer and meditation and what that looks like just in the life of a believer, like what can one expect to experience in their prayer life and in their times of silent meditation and how can one keep from running away from encountering something that causes us distress or causes us suffering when it seems like it's such a human response to run away from it to hide it not engage with it
1: yeah prayer meditation coming from the philippians 4 text don't be anxious about anything but everything through prayer and supplication, make your petitions known to God. And then the result is that He will guard our hearts and He'll give us a peace that exceeds our understanding. And so, according to that text, it seems that there should be a product, or at least a byproduct, related to effective prayer that resolves in peace, that there is even the capacity for a kind of peace that exceeds a person's ability to understand. If we go back to the garden and we think about the understanding that the man and the woman won, contemplating life in front of that tree, thinking about what it means to be like God, the text in chapter one lets us know that God created them in his likeness. Mm. In the image of God, he created a Male and female, he created them. So there was intent in that act that human beings would have the full potential to realize what it means to be the image of God or the children of God. But contemplating understanding in front of that tree, looking at that fruit, thinking that a certain kind of knowledge, a certain kind of understanding would get them what they needed to be like God, to have some control. The moment is also characterized by the rationality of the experience. Anthropologically, in in some kind of like, ideological consideration, we're looking at the birth of rationalization in the story. This capacity we have to question, to even verbalize our discontentment with the way things are. But it always starts with a thought. It always starts with an idea. I find it interesting that prayer, it doesn't start with the words. It doesn't start with a verbalization. Prayer starts with a thought. Prayer starts with a consideration. And it is that consideration which forms into words. Now, we also know that the God in whose image we've been created in, he had done so via words and that in his image, we too can use our words So having been created in the image of God with the full potential to realize that image as the children of God, there are distinctives that scripture wants to reveal about who God is that intimate who we could be. So God as creator who orders the universe by his words, even in the first two verses of the first chapter, we get that there are things preceding the verbalization. That before God says, and let there be light, the spirit is moving upon the face of the deep or the the breath, that inhale of God, that the very thing we hear in one another before we talk, we hear an inhale and then we speak. The inhale often is even a nonverbal cue for us to give someone else an opportunity to speak because in conversation, we hear them inhale and we pause because we know that thoughts have culminated in a verbal expression so it is i believe with prayer prayer is something that once put into words should carry with it the kind of thought that leads to action and god said let there be light rather than thinking that prayer is merely a rambling because our heavenly father likes to just give us good company while we vent and though i think that that's true to a great degree a lot of that happens in our thoughts A lot of that happens in our soul. To start to verbalize that nonsense, I think one would feel their own sense of need to a great degree. But a person who is routinely making a practice out of prayer and meditation, those petitions and supplications are now going to be shaped by that filtration process that Jesus would say actually indicates clean or unclean, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when I pray and when I verbalize a prayer, that characterizes my heart, that characterizes the seed of my will, it characterizes my desires. So if, if I want to be characterized by complaining about my temporary circumstances, that should become a, a mirror for me in the moment, Like because it's not even that it's bad, I'm not saying good or bad here, I'm saying that it's an indicator, it's, it's letting us know this is what's in you. You're full of complaint. You're full of despising reality, which is a rejection of God. God exists in reality. God exists in the present. And we neglect our own capacity to disavow what is so that we can complain about what isn't, making that our idol or our goal. I don't think it's a mistake that when God reveals himself to Moses, he reveals himself with a verb that contains the term we utilize to highlight we exist. Even the father of modern philosophy would say that he thinks therefore he is that verb to be, that existence is like known by the fact that thought preceded it. So all the thought that was in God prior to, and he said, let there be light. I think, I believe is part of the distinctive character and by distinctive i mean holy there's no one else like that but that's the one in whose image we've been created and in that case we too have to become sensitive to what's in our heart because we should know that when we speak we too create and when all of a sudden my prayers are characterized by a nonsensical rant that hasn't had uh, that hasn't passed through the filtration process of the mind of christ You see, the mind of Christ is available to us so that what is in our hearts doesn't have to come out and construct realities. So he guards our hearts in Christ Jesus. Think about it. Like, how is he guarding our heart? The Bible will tell us that the heart is deceptively wicked. The writings of the Ohanian community would say that it not only is deceptively wicked, but it condemns us. And so the guarding of our hearts in Christ Jesus having the mind of Christ through an act of prayer helps us to get beyond our finite capacity for understanding.
0: Yeah. It seems like that kicks against maybe a cultural idea that expressing our emotions is the end all of verbal communications in terms of prayer, that it should just almost be like a release valve that we just let out, you know, whatever... And whatever we let out of our mouths is acceptable and doesn't need to be evaluated. But it seems like in the Bible, there is a connection between prayer and offerings that would indicate that there's acceptable and unacceptable words that we offer before God.
1: Absolutely. I mean, think about Zechariah, whose responsibility was to enter into the temple, offer up prayers on behalf of the community and to intercede between the community and God, you know, they did all the ritual, the incense burning to represent the visual of the prayers ascending to the heavens. And we know the storyline, the storyline is that the words that he offered were unacceptable to the degree that he is going to be silenced. And there's a real comedic aftermath in that he goes outside and he's signing what happened to him, which the crowd interprets incorrectly. They, they don't understand what he's signing to them. They just say he's seen a vision. Something's happened to him. They don't know how to interpret precisely what went on in there, but it becomes for us, the readers, this opportunity to examine the actual sign. Because to me, the actual sign is that a person, out of the abundance of their heart, can offer something that in this case was characterized by doubt because it exceeded his ability to understand how God could do what he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it. In this case, how can my wife, who is old, have a child? That exceeds understanding. And so now he's speaking that reality. How can this guy be a, a priest to a community of faith? Silence. And now the sign is that the priesthood have prevented God from doing what only God could do Because they have put a threshold on God called their own understanding. For Zechariah, again, how can a woman when she's old give birth? It was the trip up. And it shows that this is what was in his heart. And God wasn't going to allow him to get out there and and speak those kinds of things into reality. In Genesis chapter 2, we learn that the man is given the ability to use language, to name things. And the Bible tells us that whatever the man named it, that's what it was called, which I think shows that God has indeed given us the linguistic capacity for creation, that we with our words construct realities that we all end up living in. So now if you think about prayer, if you don't have the mind of Christ to filter that heart that could be both deceptive and condemning, now you're going to speak words that will construct A reality that is unauthorized. It needs silenced. So you think of Mary, the contrast to that story, and she speaks that God can do the impossible. She speaks in such a way that she is ready now to serve. She's enlisting herself. She makes herself available as as God's servant and then desires for his will be done, which now take us to Gethsemane. And that's what we hear in Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If the will, which is the desire, the volition of a human being exists in their heart, that heart needs guarded. I think sometimes because of our culture, we think that the, the heart is the precious thing that that we need to protect because follow your dreams, it's in your heart. And what we don't get is that our heart is, uh, is actually even... Biologically, the thing that reminds us of our frailty, it's the thing that constantly would beat in our ear if we let it, letting us know that we are expiring. It can condemn us. It's what makes a middle-aged man reconsider if he's indeed in love with the mother of his several children. It's what makes the career-driven woman who felt a sense of vocation and calling begin to wonder if it was worth it because she can't understand how the next stage in life will satiate the deep sense of loneliness and the heart just keeps beating yeah. louder. So you,
0: it's, it seems like if the, what you're saying is that one of the ways that God helps us as frail human beings is that when we speak before him, he helps guard our hearts by almost giving us feedback on whether or not those are correct words to be spoken into the situation, if we give that space to God to accept or not accept what we have to say, that he, he can enter into that moment of prayer and say, no, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about it in this way. And it, is that kind of like one of the ways that you're...
1: That's absolutely what I'm talking about. I'm saying that the mind of Christ must be engaged when one prays, especially when they form words. I'm saying that God loves us and what happens in our hearts, he sees. That's why the, that text in Jeremiah will say in that case, God searches the heart. Mm-hmm. So it's not like God is ignorant of what's happening in us. It's that God is going to protect us even from what's happening in there. So that you take that middle-aged man, it's the mind of Christ that could either, if they are familiar with scripture They could learn God hates divorce because he wants godly offspring and they know the connection uh, with regard to how broken covenant messes with the next generation. They could go and have the mind of Christ in Ephesians from the Pauline letters and how he communicates that the covenant relationship between a man and woman is actually the sign that the world has for what it is that could exist between God and his people. And in that case, whatever was beating inside of them for that was about to formulate into words because today that's how people are. They're like, I want to speak my truth. I, I want God to hear what I'm thinking and, and God's big enough to hear it. And, and he knows I can say it. And it's like, well, he's already been hearing it the entire time. Right. Well, he's already been hearing it the entire time. He's trying to guard you. He's trying to protect you. He's a loving father who wants to even protect us from our own wandering. And the moment you start to pray and speak those things, you know, even if like, let's say this middle-aged man is now confiding in his buddy and he just shares the wandering of his eyes and his heart. And he starts to point out a plan, starts saying things like the kids are old enough now. If his buddy doesn't intervene with, you sound stupid, man. Why are you talking like this? you know, this is the wife of your youth, you know, that those kids, they're not going to forgive you when they grow up, they will resent you. If that friend doesn't say that, it actually will, in some ways, strengthen the resolve of the verbal regurgitation of corruptible stuff in the heart, because it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of him. And so as he's talking and sharing those things, if the friend doesn't do that, we have a problem because now that linguistic construction of reality is is growing stronger. It's like a freaking gremlin. If you put water on it, it's just going to keep multiplying. I think in this generation, this is when you hear people saying like, speak your truth. And then you start hearing everybody applauding them for being brave. There isn't a person on the planet who exists, who's an adult, who doesn't recognize the depravity of their own heart? If they're honest, because if they're honest, the thing that God blessed us with all of a sudden hits. It's called shame. All of a sudden we feel shame for thinking that, for feeling that. Now there's a shame the world puts on us. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of shame that helps us to understand, even though we don't understand, we've done something wrong. Who told you you were naked? Where are you? You know, these are the questions that come from God for the man and woman, there seems to be in them an inability to weigh in on the gravity of the consequence of the decision which was first in the heart and then was birthed into action.
0: And it seems, just going back to our previous thoughts on people's uncomfortability with silence and meditation, it seems like that's silence even before God, is a key component of him being able to guard us. I'm thinking of Psalms 5 where it says, I order my thoughts before you and wait. Just see, like, giving that space for God even to observe what you've just said and then for you to receive from him whether or not that is acceptable, a way to process through what you are, um, what you are offering to him.
1: Absolutely. We know that Elijah, who was a prophet, had a lot of things to say. He was quite boisterous. Finding himself back at Sinai in that cave, it wasn't until silence emerged. I know that a lot of people interpret that passage as still small voice, but the Hebrew rendering is a silence. Mm -hmm. I understand why people say still small voice. I get it because that's when the voice emerges. I think we've missed something when we don't interpret that it was the silence. So then it goes with the poet's consideration of being still to know that God is God. You mm-hmm. still know that I'm God. It's until we silence all those other voices, the voices of my insecurity. Even my emotions take on a personification. They have a voice and sometimes we even enlist them into different voices. They could be the voice of our father you know who's not even really our father it's just the voice of our father right it could be the the voice of a friend who betrayed us it's not them it's the voice of them Mm -hmm. and all of this insanity is having a symposium inside of our hearts and it all needs still It all needs quiet and now god can speak So I do believe that prayer meditation can't truly happen. You can't actually offer the right kind of words until you have sat in the stillness, silenced things, and then by faith, listened for God and allowed his word to now filter what it is that needs to be said. And I believe that for most of us, when we pray in that way, we find ourselves escaping the prison of self. Our prayers are not going to be characterized by the petty wants of, even what we would call childish desire, but we would be the kind of people who would pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is it is in heaven.
0: Yeah, I think it's relevant that Psalm 1, which emphasizes the study of God's scripture, prefaces the entire book of prayers. Because I, I think the lesson there is that unless we know God's word in her, we aren't going to be able to offer up those correct
1: prayers to God. And with Psalm 1, you've got the like an environmental characterization. When you're with the word of God, you're by a stream, you're like an evergreen. You're going to make it through every season. But in contrast, without that word of God, you're now amongst the wicked. Your environment is subject to the whimsical desires of an immature humanity who never realized the full potential they had having been created in the image of God. And in that case, you will not experience the kind of sustainable possibility that exists in God. This is to me why I don't believe you can read the Hebrew scriptures and not get to a place of contemplating everlasting life. I think you're a bad interpreter. That's what Psalm 1 is telling us right off the bat. But the person who meditates on the law of God, everlasting life is possible. And this goes beyond like a mere contemplation of a Greek concept of immortality. This is something that's only in the mind of God and can only be revealed in the mind of Christ. And it changes our prayers. And when we ask ourselves, what is making my heart so restless? What is making me prone? What is making that middle-aged man prone to the, the kind of adultery that transforms communities except his own sense of finiteness and he's now back in the garden in front of the tree rationalizing with the serpent what it is that he can do now because he wants a taste of something that he has realized as he's growing older is getting further and further out of reach but those who abide in the law of god they start to tap into that everlasting potential i get so moved thinking about it
0: like those deeper longings that we can't capture in our sort of rationalistic thinking about the finitude of our life kind of reminds me of Romans 8 with the sighs too deep for words. Yes. The Spirit helps us to tap into because we can't can't get there through just viewing our world through our, our finite rational mind.
1: You are saying something very important. That groaning in Romans 8 is often misinterpreted we have to take it within its context because there's like a birth motif happening in there that there's this new world that God is recreating that is in labor pains and there's a groaning inside of us. And there's that comparison that there's gotta be something that's birthed. There's gotta be something that's created. And so what's he waiting for? It's the world is waiting for the children of God to emerge. Why? What do the children of God have the capacity to do speak mm-hmm. and to speak life? And to speak the kind of creative words that recast what seems so despairing. Because at the end of chapter 7, who will save us from this wretchedness, from this mortality, from this sick cycle of sin that is just trapping us? It's Jesus Christ who is not condemning us. But if we live according to the spirit, not according to the flesh, we are getting to experience the redemption of the sons of God. In a time like this, with the opportunity to have silence, to not have to just be going like, you know, scrolling all day, looking at Instagram, double clipping the the hearts or looking at TikTok and watching and, and allowing all that noise to become the filter by which we speak. And instead, shutting it all down, getting before God and letting him do what only he can do and to filter what it is that now we can speak by faith, the kind of prayers that exceed our ability to understand. See, those groans weren't supposed to stop with groans. They, they were groans because the, they, the person finally reached into their depths. They finally confronted themselves in all of their need. They were able to, to genuinely say that I am a sinner. I am somebody who, who needs God I'm someone that even despite all my best efforts at morality and even goodness to the degree that even others would say you are good. I know what's in my heart and I need God. It's in that silence that we are just embraced by the very one who knows our names and helps us shape all of that groaning into life giving light giving words in him was life and that life was the light of all men that the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us is now revealed verse 18 verse 4 to verse 14 verse 18 of chapter 1 of John and now that son he's revealed God to us close to the father's heart even though no one's seen God we can now know who he is and now we can follow him which is the big point of Jesus and John I just love how even Jesus prays all throughout the gospel and he prays prior to challenging scenarios and he gives us those words that let us know on the other side of prayer, what should come out is not our will, but God's will, mm. will of the Father.
0: I think that's a, a great a spot to leave people uh, in, a, in a time of reflection, especially just the challenge of, yeah, reflecting on whether our own prayer lives include those depths And those um, struggles that we see is characteristic of uh, of a a true time of prayer with God. When whether or not they are our times of prayer meditation are producing the kind of life giving words and perspectives that allow us to do God's will and to bring life to the world around us. I think it's a wonderful challenge. I'm certainly going to continue to process everything that we've gotten a chance to talk about. So I appreciate this time
1: greatly. Thank you, Ben, for your time. Have a good rest of the day.
0: This has been Thoughts, Theological Considerations During COVID. After the recording of this episode, the news of George Floyd's death swept through our nation. In the next episode, we talk through the theological implications of this moment of tragedy and response. Let's talk soon.